Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia, and this is Ask the Experts. And we have a very special show for you today. I am taking you behind the scenes of ESPN production. We know, of course, that the global pandemic hit, sports were shut down, and in terms of boxing, someone had to be first. And in this case, that was ESPN and Top Rank. They came back in the bubble, and it was a it was such a monumental effort by everyone involved. Brad Jacobs, the Top Rank team, and then, of course, everyone at ESPN, Mike McQuaid, and others. So I really wanted to explore that. What were the challenges in terms of the technical aspects of, of putting together these remote broadcasts? We could see the, the whole MGM bubble, the nightclub feel, uh, the announcers at home from their home offices, Joe Tessitore from the studio. Um, if you've worked in live production, especially for live sports, it's hard enough as it is. But if you add uh, the fact that everyone needs to be remote or if people are together, they need plexiglass dividers and masks, it adds a whole new uh, group of challenges. So I wanted to speak to some experts about that. So today I will be speaking to two different ESPN producers. First up, it's Mark Schumann. He's a producer for Max Unboxing. He's involved in all of ESPN Boxing production and studio shows. So I'm going to talk to him about all the challenges he had there. And then I'll be speaking to Jim Zaroli. He's a producer for the live boxing events. And we're going to talk, like I said, about all the challenges and everything that came together uh, for the ESPN broadcast. I'm going to talk to them about the whole Hear Me Cheer. What was going on with that app? Um, Did they use iPads to see the other announcers so that they don't step on each other? What was that like talking to these announcers that were at their home offices? Um, Talking to the graphics people, the, the tape room, everything. I also asked... If we will ever see Max Kellerman calling fights again, we know that Max was on HBO for a long time as a great analyst, uh, but we've seen him in more of a hosting role with ESPN, so I'm going to ask about that. Also, we know that in terms of ESPN boxing, a lot was made about Tyson Fury having the graphic lineal champion, especially when he was making his uh, comeback fights before he fought Wilder in the rematch. And a lot of that is, you know, there's some criticism because it's not always necessary to label the lineal champion. Champion, and there's not necessarily a direct link to the first person who had the heavyweight title. It's it's a little bit disputed. People retire, things like that. It's not necessarily wrong to do so, but I was just curious about that decision. So I'll be asking them about that as well. Uh, we even talked about uh, Mark Kriegel's impressive uh, book collection, the overall life in the bubble. So we're just going to kind of take it behind the scenes. So without further ado, here are my conversations with Mark Schumann and Jim Zaroli from ESPN. I am Karen Batia. And let's ask the experts. I am Karan Bhatia. I am speaking to ESPN's Mark Schumann. You've seen his work as the producer of Max Unboxing. He's contributed to the live boxing broadcast. He's been at ESPN for a long time, but he's made his way into the boxing world. And we're going to talk to him about that. So, Mark, uh, for people who may not know your background, what you do, why don't you just introduce yourself real quick? Uh, sure. Thanks for having me here. Um, I've been at ESPN just past my 24 year anniversary, started off as a production assistant and worked my way up. And then last dozen so years been producing a lot of different shows and sports, uh, last year and a half or so, uh, come into the boxing world. Uh, it started with doing max on boxing, uh, when that show started last February of 2019, uh, which is a kind of a weekly show that max Kellerman, uh, hosts. Um, that's also kind of led into, some stuff within the top rank boxing uh, fight nights and stuff like that. Uh, 
we've done like some weigh-in shows and those types of things where we're taking the show on the road and those types of things. And then uh, certainly when the kind of pandemic hit and everything kind of just stopped back in March, uh, when we re-began to try to start talking about boxing and what might eventually be and what eventually became the bubble of this summer, uh, we started doing, or I started producing some shows each week for ESPN Plus uh, with our guys all scattered across the country sort of talking about what was going on, what we were hearing, what it could look like, and all those types of things. So that's kind of a little bit of a nutshell of what I've been doing. And I wanted to talk to you about the bubble because it, it, it was so well done. I've been saying this for weeks, if not months now, that uh, Brad Jacobs from Top Rank, the whole ESPN team deserve a ton of credit because someone had to be first in terms of coming out and Top Rank and ESPN with that partnership, they were able to do it safely. And I want to get into the nuts and bolts of that. But real quick, before we do, um, I was lucky enough to produce the countdown show for the rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. It was a massive event on Fox and ESPN, the, the joint collaboration. And and I know that you mentioned Max Unboxing was able to go on the road. There was also mm-hmm. pre-programming that week. So what was that like? Uh, what was that experience like for Fight Week and, and taking a normal studio show and, and kind of bringing things on the road? Yeah, so for me, that was my – like I had, I, I had worked on baseball in the past, so I've been like on the road for like World Series and All-Star Games and Home Run Derbies and those types of things. So like those are big events in those sports. Uh, being part of this was an amazing experience. We were in Vegas for about eight days and just the crowd buildups as the week went along and more and more people getting there and getting ready for the fight was just so awesome. Uh, we did four shows at max on the road, uh, in different locations, some with live fans behind them. Uh, some actually in where we did like a press conference show. Uh, we were sort of like in the theater. Um, and then we did, uh, and I was also part of like the post-fight uh, show, which was with Brian Kenny, Max Kellerman, Sean Porter, and Timmy, Timothy Braddock. We had a good mix and stuff like that. Uh, just to be part of something like that, where you know we sort of took two uh, broadcast organizations that are obviously really proud and do certain things their own way and stuff, and sort of to combine them to find the best ways possible from each side uh, to put on like a really, really good show and really build it up during the week was really an awesome experience to just be a small part of. Um, but that was really, really cool. I think like when you're on the road like that with boxing fans, like you just see how much passion there really is. And I know like as a producer, like that helps me, like when you just see the passion of everybody else and that sort of kind of creates like this excitement and energy in you and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, when you're just sitting like in a studio or in a control room, you don't get that feeling, but to be part of that and to be on the road for such a huge, huge fight. And, uh, hopefully, you know, part two of what we eventually hope will be a trilogy down the road, maybe in December, who knows? who knows where and how and all that kind of stuff. But uh, just to be part of that, just to be a little piece of that experience was really, really an awesome thing uh, to, to be, to be involved in. It was a really great event and and bringing two networks together like that, two promoters together, I've been saying for a long time in terms of helping uh, get boxing more mainstream popularity, that is going to be one of the keys because we need to see the best fight the best. So credit to Definitely. ESPN and Fox Sports and everyone else involved, top ranked PBC, everyone for putting that together. Um, it's it's funny you mentioned uh, live fans behind Max. I don't even think we know what live fans are know, anymore, right? and so so that's that was obviously what we wanted to to chat about today. So everything's cruising. Um, ESPN uh, boxing's going great. We have the big pay per view fight, um, and then of course the pandemic hits. Everything is shut down. When did you first start getting the the inklings, the 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 first moments of hey, we want to try a bubble. 
we want to try a safe way to do boxing. What was, what was kind of the origins of, of when boxing came back to ESPN? So I started hearing some rumblings probably like middle to late April uh, from my boss um, who uh, talks with Brad all the time and all that kind of stuff. It just sort of like, you know, I think there was always a thought of, and I remember Mac, I remember on our last Max on boxing show when the pandemic stuff first kind of was going on and eventually it canceled the Shakur Stevenson fight that was supposed to happen on that Saturday at Madison Square Garden. Um, he's, he, I remember him saying like boxing was actually in a decent position because you didn't need a lot of people to put a fight on, right? And yes, there would be no fans potentially, but you only needed, you know, you needed the fighters, some judges, a couple corner guys and stuff like that. You didn't need hundreds and hundreds of people. So he thought, you know, so I always had that in the back of my mind of like, okay, well, maybe what's, what is boxing going to do? How are we going to come back? Can we come back? And so it was really probably the middle of April where there were some talks of, okay, hey, um, you know, we're going to have some sort of bubble concept. That was the first time you kind of heard those words like in sports and no one really quite knew what it could look like and what it was going to be and that type of thing. But it was really kind of like middle of April. And then uh, my boss, uh, Mike McQuaid, who oversees all the boxing, he had said, you know, maybe maybe we start coming in and doing like a weekly sort of state of boxing show. And uh, so that was hosted by Joe Tessitore. Um, he actually came into the Bristol studios, um, but Andre Ward was from his house. Tim Bradley was from his house. Bernardo Suna was from his house. Mark Kriegel was from his house, you know, so we're separated in all these different areas. And um, they try to just start talking about what it could be and some of the rumor mills and what was real, what was, you know, fact, trying to separate fact from fiction and stuff like that. But it's really kind of that middle of April where there's some talk of, hey, we think we're going to try to do this. Now, no one knew when. We thought maybe June, maybe late May, but no one really kind of knew. And then as the weeks went along, you know, we'd get a little more information about, okay, hey, we think it's going to be in Vegas, but we're not sure where. And it's going to probably be in a ballroom, but not an arena. And then it was the question really from an ESPN side of, okay, well, how many people can actually go to the site versus how many people have to kind of stay back sort of in Connecticut um, and sort of produce the show. And those were all kind of discussions that were going back. And I felt like each, every day we would meet, there would be like, okay, well now it's this. And you know, it was this, now it's this, you know, that's, I was literally changing day. And just, I, I just think back to the people that went into the bubble uh, from the ESPN side and top rank side and stayed there for, you know, virtually seven weeks. I mean, I, you know, tip the cap to them just to, 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 to kind of do that, to be away from friends to be away from family, to be in Vegas, even though it wasn't maybe, you know, the, the Vegas, we know, we know, we know of with shows and all that kind of stuff, but there was still some activity going on and not being able to do any of that to just basically stay in your room, go to the truck, be in the ring, you know, to basically put on this production, you know, it was, was pretty an amazing, amazing amount of, of work and organization to kind of put it all together. It certainly was. And there was obviously the question of sports is important. It offers us, you know, the escapism, the entertainment, and those are important for people right now. But the biggest thing is just to keep everyone safe. You don't want to hold this event and then have outbreaks happen. um, People, you know, being unsafe. And it was clear from the beginning, I think that top rank and ESPN and everyone were going to take the protocols really safely. Um, And and you could see that as it went along. Uh, You mentioned people being in the bubble. I spoke to a cameraman. Uh, who had to be there for seven or eight weeks. He couldn't leave to see his family who lived five minutes yeah. away. Um, I spoke to Mark Chinook, the, the ring announcer. Um, he had similar challenges in terms of being able to to come and go. Um, but that was, that was important because they needed that for the safety. So boxing got up and running uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays for a long period of time there on ESPN. And you mentioned you worked on 
the studio show with, with Joe Tess and, and all the other great analysts on ESPN, there's has to be inherent challenges there when you have four different people, four or five different people at four or five different locations. And also it's not just, uh, you know, you have a studio and one guy remoting in and having a conversation. They're all having to talk to each other. They all need to have to be able to hear everyone else, not step on each other. So what were the challenges of doing a four to five man studio show from different locations like that? Yeah, no doubt. Like the, like you learn that everyone's Wi-Fi strength is a little different. So that, that challenges like persons, like maybe how good their camera happens to be looking at that moment. And maybe it's the time of day we were doing stuff and all those things. And uh, there's slight delays that you have to kind of deal with. So, you know, maybe Joe says something and maybe Andre hears it slightly before Timmy hears it or vice versa and those types of things. So you have to try to work within our technology ability to try to sort of kind of stream on it to get it to the point where people can have convert like normal conversations like me and you are having right now and not, not make it sound awkward and, you know, uh, odd and that type of thing. So that so we did several days of rehearsals just to make sure everyone's camera was working what kind of lighting they had, what room were they in? Was there a window that they had to cover? You know, like things you don't even think about. Like I remember like Mark Kriegel and his setup, like he had like a window. So certain times of the day, the sun would be coming in. So depending on when we were doing the, our segments or that type of thing, he'd have to go and put up like this giant sheet to try to block the sun. So it wouldn't like cascade over his shot. Like these are like little things you just never really think about, you know, that all sort of like popped up, um, you know, uh, like I have a dog right now that's sitting here. He's very quiet, but people may have pets and it's like, like I got to keep, you got to keep the pet quiet. You know, Oh shoot. My phone just rang while we're on the air. Like little things like that. You never really thought about that all became like really, really important. Like during this whole thing. So over some days and over like the weeks of doing this state of boxing show it was kind of a really good rehearsal to kind of get used to sort of the delays, sort of the quiet moment, like sometimes like, you know, you'll talk, there'll be like maybe a thousand, one thousand, two, then someone else will jump in and say something. So it took time for people to kind of get used to that new cadence to kind of get used to, um, you know, as like the, the term, which I can't say the new normal of kind of, you know, how we're sort of doing TV and stuff like that, you know, like, um, you know, just like, you know, I'm sitting here now with headphones and I know like during some of our max unboxing shows, which also came back on those Tuesdays and Thursdays, we interviewed uh, like Shakur and Tia Fimo and Terrence Crawford. And it was just like, all right, hey, we're going to do it via FaceTime. Can you make sure you have headphones? Because it just, the audio will sound better. You know, little things like that that you never even really thought you'd even be having, you know, you'd be me thinking about um, that all sort of came into play. Um, so all those little things sort of kind of went. And, you know, as time went on, we got, we got better. The, the guys got more comfortable with all the technology because, you know, no one could really, once everything was set up, like no one could come into their house every day and be there for them to plug stuff, whatever. So if there's an issue, like they're on the phone and they're on the floor trying to fix a plug or let me reset this or, all right, oh, let me plug it in over here, you know, whatever, like all those things, like they became like their own technical advisors almost to a certain extent. So everyone was kind of pushed to do little things out of their comfort zone, certainly. Um, you know, so when I look back and just kind of see how it all kind of went together, like I think we put like a pretty darn good product on the air, you know, and, you know, that's from a lot of people work and a lot of, you know, conversations and, and hard work from a lot of people. 
Yeah, absolutely. When you think about a studio show, there's so many elements that are controlled. The sound is controlled. The lighting is controlled. It's in an indoor environment. Um, the, the, usually the talent are sitting there right next to each other so they can immediately talk with each other. There's no lag or delay. And now you have all these different people, all these different variables. Um, so I can only imagine how difficult that was. Uh, and, and of course, we have to make sure the lighting was correct for Mark Kriegel's impressive book collection. That's very important. Um, very impressive. I think, I think I also read that uh, Tim Bradley had his son as his technical support uh, helping out. So he was probably in the room, you know, fiddling with those those wires and things. So that was it from a talent perspective in terms of those announcers. Now, for, from a studio show, there's usually a group of people, uh, producer, director, assistant director, graphics department, audio. They're usually in a control room. Uh, sometimes those control rooms are at an actual location like a studio. Sometimes those can be in a production truck. Um, but this changed the equation with that too as well, right? We've seen photos and videos of plexiglass dividers, people in masks, sometimes the graphics crew or whoever can be remote and doing their thing totally different. So what were the challenges in terms of, of that whole setup from the production aspect? Yeah. So from, uh, so we were, we basically took what would have been one control room of people and we were split into two different control rooms, um, Mass required at something at ESPN. It's been required really since since April when I came back, and we're they did it in a way where we're at least six feet apart in the control room. Um, so you know, normally where I might be able to just to turn and actually put my hand on the director and just get his attention or like, hey, let's go there or something like that. Now you're a lot farther away. Um, you know, we're on headsets and stuff, but when you you know a lot of times it's hand gestures or a little tap or something like that. So that like kind of change. You couldn't do that. Um, when I started, when, when the max unboxing show came into equation, the graphics person was literally like three buildings away, you know, and you're sort of talking to them over your headset, um, those types of things. Uh, Jim Zeroli, who did the actual producing of the boxing and stuff like that. He was in a room next door, literally kind of like they set it up. So it would look like he was in a truck with all the different cameras and the EVS shots and all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's got the people from Vegas on a zoom. Thing, so he can sort of kind of they could kind of look and talk to each other that way um so yeah like just being sort of scattered apart um really really made you think about the communication and sort of you know you had to really be like all right what do i have to say here and how you know how succinct can i say it you know so people can understand over a headset while the show is on the air or music's playing or there's sound effects and things of that nature and stuff like that so uh definitely at espn we were spread out um we're still spread out into different control rooms to, to maintain that social distancing. And then also like working with a mask and stuff like that. Like now I've kind of gotten used to it a little bit, but sitting there like for six, maybe five, six hours with a headset on and a mask, like, you know, it gets hot, it's hard. Maybe you're not as clear speaking, you know, those types of things. So these are all little things that you kind of have learned. We all, all have learned to kind of just get used to and, and understand, okay, this is now the way it works. And we just, you know, find ways to get past all the challenges. It certainly changes the equation. I was lucky enough to be involved in a lot of live events for HBO Boxing and being in the production truck. Yes, you all have headsets and are talking to each other, but when things start to get crazy, uh, you're usually just screaming at the top of your lungs to the person five feet away to just get their attention because you don't want everything to bleed into that headset. Mm, yeah. uh, so this 
changes that entire equation. So I know that you were involved more so on the studio show side of things, but there was, of course, uh, the live event part of it as well. Um, and I know that I'm guessing that you were involved in some of the conversations in terms of how things were going to play out, what the, the looks would be. So Top Rank and ESPN get a lot of credit because they, they created that kind of nightclub feel. This wasn't an empty ballroom. There was, you know, there was smoke, there was great graphics, there was visuals. I, I always really enjoyed seeing, um, you'd see all four announcers kind of in the back as the fighters mm -hmm. are fighting uh, in the front. So can you talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on some of those initiatives and ideas? Was there anything that was proposed that didn't happen? Um, and how did they decide to, to do it that way? And, and more importantly, were you responsible for hear me cheer? That's the main question. <laughs> I was not responsible for hear me cheer. Um, I have to give like, uh, you know, like I think top rank did a fantastic job to turn that conference room into, like you said, like you, you wouldn't really know you were looking at just a conference room. Um, Aladdin Freeman, who's our director for all the boxing, like he did a fantastic job sort of framing certain shots and giving that feel using like early on, I think we thought we would be using our studio a little bit more, but once we kind of saw these monitors and these screens, as you just sort of mentioned, um, and working with Aladdin and, and all the guys in Vegas, using those to put graphics, video in, um, whether it was shots of fans from the Hear Me Cheer, whether it was showing a guy warming up, getting ready for the next fight as they would sort of kind of pull out and then you would see the ring and all that kind of stuff, um, those types of things. So um, I didn't have like a lot of say in how it sort of looked and built, but I like was at least able to say, hey, can we, I'd like to try to incorporate this. Like, so the one thing we, we try to do with, when we did the max unboxing shows on Tuesday and Thursday that kind of led into the fights, there's a lot of times we'd have like uh, Bernardo giving us updates, um, you know, cause there was so many changes with, Hey, this fight is now canceled because someone tested positive for COVID, you know, and those types of things. So we would constantly do like uh, stuff with him from the arena and trying to get like our graphics look into the monitors and stuff like that. So it could kind of look seamless and all those types of things. Um, you know, so I was like sort of part of that, those sort of conversations. Uh, you know, and, and that's a case where, you know, we think about just sort of the how crazy the, pro the process is. So Max at hit, Max is at his house. I'm in Connecticut. We have a talent that's in Las Vegas, I'm t a director that's to my left. But we're also talking to the director that's in a truck outside in Vegas, trying to coordinate video and looks and graphics and topic bars and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, even for a small little 30 minute studio show, there's so many little things to go, you know, to kind of work together and make it look good. So which is even more crazy when you think about when you watch the fights, you know, how kind of seamless it looked. Like there were probably some moments where the guys talked over each other. There were some moments where there was some dead air. But I think overall, like the production was really good and you didn't feel like you were in a giant conference room. You felt like you were in a tight little spot. And I think it was like a really fan-friendly thing to watch on TV. The the production was really good. It got it seemed to even get better as it went along as people kind of figured these things out. Mm -hmm. There was less announcers stepping on each other, um, and it, and it, it started great and it, it got even better. And I, I saw something that ESPN Front Row did with Mike McQuaid, who I believe is the, the head of the production yes. there for boxing. I know you mentioned his name, and and one of the things he said was. Uh, early on, especially, you don't want to take too many risks. You just want to get this, you know, get this product going and then build upon that. Was that the mindset that that you also had as well? Like, let's let's get the structure there, and then you know we can kind of work on bells and whistles thing and things like that later. Absolutely, because like you know, like we're as TV producers, like we're perfectionists. Like we want it, we want everything to look great, everything to sound good. Um, whether it's graphic, it's music, it's sound effects, it's video, it's backdrops, whatever it might be. Um, but we really, really, really had to crawl before we could even walk 
And I do, I do harken back to like those shows that began in late April, sort of the state of boxing shows where we learned a lot about the things we could do and the types of conversations we could have. And could we do an interview during the thing? Could guys have a conversation back and forth debating stuff? What were the challenges? What worked? What didn't work? And it allowed us to kind of hone some stuff. And I, I think as we've gone, you know, as we get further and further on, um, you know, we start talking about, okay, what more can we do? Can we do this? Can we push the envelope here? You know, those types of things. So absolutely. It was definitely, you know, crawl before we could walk, um, you know, sort of strip it back a little bit and let's just, let's make sure the product looks good on TV first. And then, then we'll add some more bells and whistles and those types of things that we're known for that we, you know, that we, that maybe just us geeky TV people will see and know and appreciate. Maybe even the fan doesn't even see it, but like, we know like it's all part of sort of the ambiance and the atmosphere of the, of the project. So absolutely. It was crawl before we even walked, let alone run. And for us as viewers, we, we got used to the, the Tuesday, Thursday schedule from Vegas. Um, we, we got to see all those great fights. And for us, it was just great to have boxing, but to have good production with it is even better. Um, and then there was the Mexico City shows on Saturday nights. Um, and I'm guessing that was a different production team because it had a whole different vibe to it. It was more of a red carpet vibe versus the, the nightclub vibe yeah. in Vegas. Um, they, you know, the, the cameramen were wearing hazmat suits. Um, there, it seemed like one fighter was ready to go on with his mask on. I think the ref had to stop him real quick and say, Hey, you yeah. got to take the mask on before mask off before you fight. Um, and there was also the, the big screen in the back with people cheering during the action. Mm -hmm. So what did you make of, of what they were doing in Mexico city and how is it different than what you were doing? Yeah. So we took, um, we took like sort of like their world, like what we'd say, like, so like as networks were taking our feed as a world feed to be able to go to other countries and other stuff. We were doing the same thing from the Mexico feed. Uh, so we had little, very little control over it. And I think like we learned that like the one thing, like I, I remember like the sort of the gnat sound of the boxing gloves or the trainers maybe wasn't as pronounced on their feed. Maybe it was just, maybe it was how the feed was coming in. Maybe it's where the microphones were. I don't know. And it, and it, it realized like, boy, like how good the sound of boxing sounded. It's kind of been um, like on our broadcast and how important that really plays. And it's almost like as crazy as all this stuff has gone on and all the negatives that have come about from this pandemic, one small little positive I think has been these fights with no fans. Like the sound of boxing has been so awesome just to listen to the gloves hitting the referees, the trainers in the corners, giving instructions and all that kind of stuff. So I think we, we kind of, we kind of picked that up like, Hey, this is something that's really, really good and really stands out when it, when it sounds good. Uh, and those types of things. Um, and then I think also like, you know, I know you talk about all the fans in the background and, you know, there's some, occasionally there's always, you know, people are like, Hey, what's that person doing back there and all that kind of stuff. You know, so kind of learn maybe like gotta be, be a little bit safer on what, what's in the backgrounds and, and all that kind of stuff. Cause people kind of see everything and are looking and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, they did, they did two of those Mexico, uh, city, uh, fights and stuff like that. Um, so I think, uh, as you saw more last week with the, the Frampton fight that was from England, it was also like another world feed type thing. I think you, you, you saw like just more progress of just making it more, more of a sharper looking thing. It's sounding better, looking better. The lighting is better, um, you know, as time has kind of gone on.
Yeah, with no fans, we lose out on obviously the huge cheers for a knockout, right? You wonder, um, you know, with the the recent uh, Alexander Povetkin knocking out Dillian White, what what would it have sounded like with yeah, fans right. or or uh, Joe Smith over Alvarez or all, any anything? You wonder, like, you know, people would be going crazy. We lose out on that, but what we gain is the sounds of the punches. Uh, we can hear the referees. Uh, more clearly, um, we can hear the the corner um, advice, which is which is also really great. So you win some, you lose some in that way. Yeah. Um, did you take you know look into what other sports were doing? Like for example, UFC came back. They chose not to do like the hear me cheer. They didn't really have any fake crowd or anything like that pumped in. Um, NBA has you know you see the live fans kind of in the back. Baseball had you know the cardboard cutouts. So everyone's doing things a little bit differently. Mm. Were you watching other sports, seeing what they're doing and saying, oh, maybe we'll try this, maybe we'll try that? I definitely know that like when UFC first came back and they had their first couple of fights, that, like, I think everyone was really like, wow, you can really hear the sounds of the sport. So I think that really got everyone like, hey, boy, this could really be good for boxing. Like we really got to find ways to make sure that we're getting that out for boxing. Um, and I think everyone was just kind of waiting, you know, yeah, waiting to see like, okay, what are they going to do for baseball with the sound, with the crowd? Um, and those types of things where we sort of, everyone was just kind of waiting and playing around with some different things. And we, we even tried some different, like some smaller things just to see like, all right, does this sound better? What do we like this? You know, that, like, so we even kind of, uh, as time went on, sort of made little minor tweaks and stuff like that. Um, sort of like, uh, there's like a, like a DJ that's, in the room in Vegas that's sort of kind of playing some music and stuff to kind of fill some of the holes. You know, that's kind of like sort of like maybe like a sort of a forgotten person in the whole equation, but like, you know, subconsciously there's kind of music filling in and stuff like that that kind of like helps, you know, kind of fill in some of the dead spots maybe between rounds and all that kind of stuff to, to replace sort of the fan frenzy that you might hear and all those kind of stuff. So we definitely were listening, but I definitely know when, when we first saw the UFC, cause that was really the first thing right before we came back. Um, the, when we heard like just the sounds of the sport, we knew like, Hey, this could be really, really good for boxing. We have to try to maximize that. And even to the point where like, Hey, maybe we need to lay out on a couple times and not even be doing play by play sometimes for a little bit and just let, let's just hear what the trainers are yelling at in the corners, which stuff during the round, which you really never can hear like on a normal boxing just because of, of, of the crowd, you know? So it's been kind of like a, like a happy accident almost that like we've kind of gotten into that. And, and, you know, like the one small silver lining maybe and, of all this madness and craziness. It, 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 like I was saying before, it changes the equation in, in UFC. Uh, there's fighters who said they actually heard what some of the analysts were yeah. saying and that changed their game plan. That's totally different. We haven't had things like that uh, before in, in boxing. So uh, I know that your work uh, has been a lot on the studio shows uh, features and uh, things like that. Of course, Max on boxing. So, uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the future of, of Max on boxing? Are we going to get a lot more Max on boxing and Max Kellerman, of course, was uh, a great ringside uh, analyst for such a long time. I think he's one of the best in the game. Do you think at some point we would also see Max calling fights on ESPN? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know Max uh, is, is sort of making the transition to doing hosting and that kind of stuff. So you've seen like on these fights where he's like hosting, like what we call like our studio set um, and that type of stuff, uh, which he's done like a really good job kind of learning all that and has, you know, his, uh, you know, his knowledge of the sport and the, of, of the history specifically is so fantastic. I always, I always love like on our show when he had, he's answering questions about past or people will ask him like, you know, who would have won, you know, Ali versus Tyson in their prime and things like that. And he can just rattle off, you know, certain things in certain fights and all that kind of stuff. 
which is just uh, so so awesome to kind of hear. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Max Unboxing, we're, we went from the Tuesdays and Thursdays to now we're virtually every Friday, um, which is kind of good because now we're now sort of in a rhythm here with, with Top Rank, with PBC, a little bit with the zone. now. We're starting to see more and more fights, so there's more for us to talk about, which is good. So it's either reacting to what just happened, you know, so like, you know, for instance, you know, our – you know, we'll talk about the Pavekin white fight, but also look ahead to finally Jose Ramirez and Victor Postal finally getting a chance to fight. You know, those types of things. So there's a lot more stuff out there for us to kind of kind of get into, a lot more news and that kind of stuff. Um, as we slowly, slowly, you know, cross our fingers, build up to, you know, the Lomachenko Tiafimo fight in October. Um, if everything was normal and everything, I would say we would definitely be out there, you know, in fights and, you know, I hope we have an opportunity to go out there and, and be part of that. I don't know what that would look like yet. Um, but you know, that's sort of like our next big fight. And then maybe, maybe, maybe we get Fury Wilder at the end of the year, uh, for number three, uh, where I don't know. Um, but you know, those are all types of things that, you know, so we're, we're looking at that hopefully, uh, you know, we'll eventually will come our way. Yeah. love the, uh, the max me anything segments getting to yeah. hear the fan, questions i love the whole next question kind of the throwback yep. to the imax and around the yeah. horn and all that good stuff um you know max is a great analyst you also have mark kriegel uh who likes to kind of go in deep to some of the family equation that that's that, that's playing a factor into these fights and help us understand the the motivation i know that you were involved in some of these features uh on some of these fighters that aired during these these uh espn cards um, we talked about the challenges of studio shows. Shooting features is, is totally yeah. different too. We, you know, people don't know when you shoot a feature, you're usually sending a team out to a training camp. You're you're getting B-roll. Uh, you're doing like a master sit down interview, bringing it back to an edit room. So I'm sure that was very different too. How did you manage uh, doing features during this time? Yeah, so I know that like um, so a, a person by the name of uh, Kaylee Scott. She uh, oversees a lot of the the content, the uh, sort of the keeper of the content of features and those types of things. So like when, the, when we started finding out who was going to be fighting, the first thing was to kind of go back and look and see, okay, what features did we do on these people in the past? What maybe could still be used and repurposed? And then it was about trying to get some updated information and stuff. Um, and on like the day, usually the day before the fights, as, as you would know, like when there's fight, like there's fighter meetings where, our broadcast team would, would meet with the fighters and all that kind of stuff, which now is all done over zoom. Um, where in the past you'd be in a room with everybody and talking and, you know, there'd be the fighter and their entourage. And, you know, a lot of people in the room now it's, you know, everyone's sitting on zoom talking and asking questions and stuff like that. Uh, we do have the ability to have them go into a interview room is what we call it. Um, with one or two other people, he's social distance to ask a few questions of them that we could then use on the broadcast or insert into one of our features to maybe get some updated sound on a, on something that's changed or, or, or storyline and stuff like that. But yeah, the going somewhere and spending, you know, like Mark, you know, you know, just has such great uh, relationships with some of these fighters and teams and spending days at a gym and those types of things. Like, I don't know if that's realistic right now, unfortunately, you know, that, that great inside access, um, you know, to kind of do those types of things. So we have to kind of just do our best storytelling, you know, maybe without some of that stuff. And Mark is so good at that and sort of checking in with different guys and giving us updates on, this is what I learned today. And this is what's going on here. And I know this is what was said, but this is really the truth. You know, those types of things that try to make our stories as fresh as they possibly can be 
without the ability of, you know, as you say, sending an entire production team with cameras and audio and lights and all that kind of stuff. So that's definitely been a challenge to try to keep telling these stories. Um, you know, once again, it's just, uh, you know, we have such great people working on the project, you know, uh, with such great passion to try to keep telling these stories, even though it's, it's not as easy, you know, anywhere as easy as it used to be. And we have uh, a pretty good schedule coming up on ESPN. Of course, Ramirez, Postal, uh, Jamel Herring, Okendo, Josh Taylor, uh, the big the big one, Lomachenko, Tiofima, which I think everyone is excited about. So as we roll on into, into the fall, um, you mentioned the evolution of production in terms of learning what works, what doesn't, taking more risks, adding more bells and whistles. Are there any plans to add things, change things, have more announcers on site, maybe have distance but small crowds? Um, any Anything like that, that that you're aware of in terms of the future uh, production later this year? Um, I do know that at least like there are some beginning talks of can we have people, announcers and stuff back on site when we get to the Tiafimo and Loma fight in October, uh, you know, what that would, you know, like as we sit here right now, you know, what might be a hot spot right now may not be a hot spot in six or seven weeks. What is, you know, at one time like Vegas and Florida, Arizona, these are all places everyone thought was the safe places to go and hold events. And then all of a sudden they became hot spots. So it's hard to know what changes are going to be made. Um, uh, you know, what will happen on, 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 that, on that front. Uh, but there definitely is some talks of hopefully trying to get us back to a more traditional setup when it comes to, to the fights and those types of things. Uh, it would certainly be, you know, if we can get there, it would be announcers, but yet socially distanced, living, everyone living in this bubble. I think the one thing that at least that we've proven right across sports that boxing certainly did and the NBA and NHL has is that the bubble isn't a guarantee, but it's certainly the best chance for success to pull these things off. And I think that people have seen that if they get into the bubble and everyone just follows the protocols that you, you can feel pretty safe being in there and those types of things, obviously traveling and getting there, you know, that's, that, that's a little bit of the cha- of some of the concerns and those types of things. But I know at least there's some talks with such a humongous fight on the horizon. October is like, what can we do? What are we allowed to do to kind of, be able to be there and be on site at least more people than are right now. I don't know if we'll get, get to the point where everyone could be out there, but I think that's the hope to eventually get, get to that point. Yeah. The bubble definitely works, especially if we are strict on the people inside of it. I I think Mm -hmm. there was, I forget which fighter, but his father was his trainer, went down to the casino floor. They found that out and they sent him home. Uh, And and that seems to work as long as we're strict with that, it, it seems to come together. So in this, you know, pandemic era, some of the A++ fighters uh, are not necessarily fighting because there is no live gate. That can be millions of dollars. That changes the entire financial equation. But we do have, of course, like we mentioned, Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez. Uh, Lomachenko arguably could be number one uh, pound for pound. Lopez obviously up there too. So we have superstars. Uh, we have superstars fighting each other, um, which, is, which is amazing. Um, do you think that, you know, we'll lose anything in terms of having that fight without fans? Uh, I mean, listen, like the, the, the ring walks and those types of things that guys do, like, you know, I was trying to even think like, could, you know, what if like, what would Tyson Fury, how would he ring walk if there were no fans? Like, would he just, <laughs> would he be still be coming out of throne like he did in the second fight? Or, you know, you just walk, you know, so I think those types of things we're going to really, really miss. Um, 
you know, I know Tiafimo, especially a guy who I think he draws so much from the crowd and those types of things like that could be a challenge for him to, to kind of uh, have to kind of not have that sort of atmosphere there and that type of thing. So I think for some fighters, I think it will be an adjustment. And we, we definitely would, you know, as you mentioned, like earlier, you know, when Pavekin shocked everybody and knocked white after he'd been knocked down two, two twice the, the round before, like you just imagine like the hush of the crowd and the, Oh my goodness. Like, like moments like that, that boxing can bring, you know, we're going to not have. So I think that part will be disappointing, but I'm just glad these guys are fighting. I hope we can get to the point where like a guy like Canelo and a guy like Terrence Crawford, they also want to fight. And I realize that, you know, the window's small for these guys and you got to make as much money as you can make and, you know, to, to, to support your family and your future and those types of things. And, uh, the live gate stuff, it just isn't quite there, but you know, the sport needs these guys in the ring. And I, you know, I hope eventually maybe the Tiafimo Loma fight could maybe get these guys to realize, Hey, all right, maybe it's not the best case scenario, but it's fighting and it's out there. And, you know, the fact that it's going to be on ESPN, I think is fantastic. So it should be, it'll be open for everyone to watch and hopefully get a lot of eyeballs that maybe wouldn't necessarily, you know, see it. Um, and that type of thing. So I, I hope this kind of begins, you know, st- getting people and fighters into that mode of, okay, Hey, this is the way it is. And you know, let's kind of go, you know, we've seen in the bubble guys like a clay collar that maybe people really didn't know who he was, but he's now fought like three times in the bubble. <laughs> You know, and then guys like that that fight and turn around and come right back and try to make a name for themselves and taking advantage of the opportunities. And that's awesome. You know, so I hope that eventually gets us to the point where some of these bigger name guys want to get out there and, and fight and, you know, we can pull it off. Clay Collard making his case for fighter of the year. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and, and so that's great for, for him. And he's been able to thrive in that bubble environment. It'll be interesting to see how other fighters take it. You mentioned Teofimo Lopez. I was there in the garden when he knocked out Richard Coleman. He was feeding off of that crowd and that energy, yeah. doing flips, going up to the mm-hmm. to the corner and, and acknowledging the crowd. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, he adjusts and other fighters make adjustments without crowds. But like you said, it's better to have the fight and watch it at home than not have it at all. So Absolutely. just to just to close it out, uh, when you look back at, at everything that you and the ESPN team achieved in terms of we, we've we've spoken about it at length now, it was a monumental effort from everyone involved to do it, do it safely, make it happen, uh, and actually add good production value, which is difficult to do without all of this. And now you add all these safety protocols, and it just adds a whole new element to it all. Um, what are you most proud of that that you and the team were able to achieve through this process? Um, I'm most proud of the fact that, you know, we normally you're just used to show up to a fight on site truck. There's all these people, everyone's doing their, their own thing. Everyone knows are we running this cable here and this camera goes here and the lights go all that kind of stuff. And everyone has their little thing and everyone does it. And then, you know, you know, you're so used to doing it and, uh, it usually all works really well. And in this case, it was sort of like, Oh, well, we have to start from square one and like, what can we do? How can we do it? How can we pull it together? And when I look back at it, you know, first of all, once again, just the people that stayed in the bubble and no one tested positive for seven plus weeks and just the, the commitment they had to make the show um, as, you know, Bernardo Asuna and Aladdin Freedom specifically, those guys to be in there to, to make the this, this show and the broadcast look as good as possible. And then back like in Bristol, like, you know, we don't we don't do a lot of like live events from a control room in, in, a, in, a, in a building and that type of thing. So it was just kind of a new way of, you know, how do we have all the audit commitment and how do we avoid all these delays? And, and, you know, so everyone's seeing the fight at the same time. There just was a lot of just the fact you look back of all the conversations we had and all the tests that we did and, and, and practicing and stuff like that. to when it finally came out and it was on TV and we finally had live sports and live boxing back on TV. And overall you're like, Hey, you know what? 
it's pretty darn good. It feels exa- it feels pretty close to the same. Yeah, there's no fans, and yeah, maybe there's video screens behind him in a in a in a in a conference room. But overall, like the product was pretty darn good, and uh, just to be a, like a small part of that, you know, was really really like an awesome experience and incredibly proud. And you know, as we now move to the end of August and into September, hopefully we can keep it going. You know, and you know, eventually we get to the point where we can have we can all get back to some normal sports with fans and and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, I think we've proven that it can be done and can be done at a really high quality. And that's that would be the thing I'm most proud about. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to the ESPN team for all the great work uh, that you guys have done and put together. Mark Schumann, I want to thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for for what you did in terms of the the hard work to get these broadcasts up and give us entertainment. Uh, and and if anyone who's watching, you can see Mark's work. He's the producer of Max Unboxing. Uh, he's producing elements for the live broadcast, producing studio shows. So Mark, I'm sure that we're going to see a bunch more of, of your great work uh, later this year. So thanks so much for joining me and thanks so much for giving us a peek uh, behind the curtain there. Much appreciated. Thank you for the time and uh, stay well. Thank you. And that was Mark Schumann. He produces the studio shows for ESPN, including Max on Boxing. He gave us a great insight uh, behind the curtain there. Next up, it's Jim Zeroli. He also works at ESPN Boxing as a producer, but he is on the live event. So let's talk about how all this live boxing production came together in the MGM Grand Bubble. I am Karin Bhatia. I am speaking with Jim Zaroli. He is a producer for ESPN Boxing. Uh, he's been with ESPN for 28 years, moved into the boxing world for the last 11, and, and that's just part of the many things he's done. Jim, uh, how are you doing today, my man? I'm well. Thanks a lot, Karin. Thanks for having me. And just for people who may not know, if you want to just kind of briefly fill them in a little bit about the work that you have done at, at ESPN. Sure. Uh... I was a PA, a production assistant from 92 until 90, 95. I became an associate producer of graphics then. So the sports were hockey. Uh, was my Baseball was my first. Hockey after that. I've been producing now college football for 17 years. Uh, great outdoor games. When we had the great outdoor games, those were fun. Uh, women's Final Four, I had the last three that were played. Three of the best. We had a lot of overtimes, excellent basketball. Uh, and I've been doing Friday night fights and top ranked boxing now for 11 going on 12 years. Basically, if it doesn't have an engine or four legs, I've done it at ESPN. <laughs> well, there you have it. Um, and so with your time with boxing for so long, uh, we obviously all dealt with the global pandemic and are still dealing with it. And that changed the entire equation uh, for everything. I'm guessing in terms of the production challenges, this was definitely different than anything you've ever seen in your career, right? <laughs> well, it's certainly, I mean, we're used to being ringside and in the truck right outside the arena, 10,000 people, hopefully everything like you always see on TV, the way we're doing it isn't terribly new to us or to some other networks. You know, we call it, uh, we call it a Remy, a remote integrated, I forget the acronym, um, but basically it means I'm in Bristol and there's, we have all of our cameras and things like, and everything like that out in Vegas. Uh, technically it's not something we haven't done before. We do a couple of football games a week that way, a couple of college basketball games a night that way. Uh, it happens a lot. And you've heard, actually, when we started doing it, you probably heard a lot of chatter about some teams you know, don't like that the announcers aren't there and this and that. Well, now it's becoming the norm, obviously, for these reasons. But 
Uh, certainly challenges exist. Half of my team is out in Vegas. Half of my team is in Bristol with me. The announcers are at their homes with the exception of I got Joe in Bristol and Bernardo's in the bubble and Tim, Dre, and Mark are at their homes. And it's, it's definitely, those are the challenges. And there's a lot of smart people way smarter than me figuring out how to technically do it. And, you know, the, the pandemic happened uh, and then, you know, we didn't have live sports for so long. And I always said someone is going to have to be first. And in the case of boxing, ESPN and top rank stepped up credit. I, I've been saying for weeks, if not months, credit to Brad Jacobs, top rank, the whole team. And of course, ESPN to, to put those shows together because it definitely was a monumental effort. So as the pandemic was going along, uh, when did you first start to hear rumblings like, hey, we want to try to create this bubble. We want to try to do it with no fans. Um, what was what was the kind of the origins of, of getting this up and running? Well, to your point, these guys, you know, boxing, there's a little maybe a little more urgency than some other sports, certainly the team sports, because these guys don't fight. They don't get paid. Nobody gets paid if nobody fights. You know, I mean, the big leagues at some point they're going to go again, but time's ticking all these boxers. We know that. I mean, every second. Guys are getting older by the second. So we knew that certainly they wanted to, to get something done as best as we can. I think it took everybody some time, first of all, to say to accept the fact that this is the way it's going to be and you can't hold out anymore. You know, I mean, if you try to wait six months, four months, it's not coming back. Like people are realizing that now. I mean, you see, I don't want to get off, but off, but Lomachenko Lopez are going to fight. Guess what? They're going to fight in there because otherwise you're not. And the clock's ticking. Let's go, you know? So, but, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, I'm not sure how to put it, Karin. Lots of different challenges that we are now facing, but top rank wanted to get it done. I got to give some credit to UFC because they did it. They really were pushing and pushing to the point. I don't want to see, you know, my own opinion, it's not to any detriment, but they just pushed and pushed and pushed until they got it. Once they got that done, you're like, all right, we can do it so let's do it and then brad and those guys brad jacobs and top rank they are of the highest order and we knew they would be the most organized and prepared and you know give credit to where it's due out there the nevada state athletic commission the state of nevada everybody that's involved and i'm happy for it obviously it's my livelihood and uh you know the fans are certainly happy for it there have been some good fights while we've been in the bubble and in terms of the actual production, putting it together, so we, you mentioned Joe Tess is in Bristol. We have the other announcers and analysts from their home, Andre Ward, Mark Kriegel, Timothy Bradley. We're seeing these guys from their home offices. Um, that's, that's different in itself. And then also your location, usually uh, a group of people like a producer, director, graphics, PA, graphics team, audio are in a production truck or a production area and they're together. They can yell across at each other. Um, that's not the case anymore. So what was the setup like for you in terms of your production unit? And then also in terms of interfacing with talent? Well, you're, you know, you're hundred percent right. That's the way it used to be. We'd all be in the same truck or a unit, B unit, same area. And really one of the biggest things that we miss out on is the cut, the room that we would all congregate in and we just hang out and we just talk and all the ideas that would come out of it and the bonding and all that, we all have said, that's really what we miss the most. But anyway, um, just being able to turn around and see somebody like I'm, so we have, we're basically in two control rooms at ESPN now. Half of it, most of us are in one, and I'm in the I'm in another one with just one other guy. The guy who runs the clock and score is sitting behind me, and that's it. Just for social distancing sake, we're able to do that now. 
as more sports come along, who knows what's going to happen. But really, the, the people, we've always been taught to communicate over headset, even when you're in the same truck. So that's really not very different as far as the production crew. I've got everybody in my ear like I normally would. You know, they just happen to be in different places. I can't turn around, look at my graphics guy and say, hey, one, two, three. Oh, I've got to do over headset now. And it just is what it is. It takes a half a show, you know, to get yourself back in that rhythm. For the announcers, the harder there is, there is delay to deal with. Like, I hear them in my ear, and then I hear them on program. And it's bizarre. You know, I mean, you got to look. We, we listen to a lot of people at once. Now, it's, we can do that. But it's when I'm looking at, the, at the, my monitors, and I'm hearing them, and they're at a different time than the pictures, that's a little wonky. You know, and that takes some getting used to. So everybody's dealing with a delay. The announcers themselves, hardest part for them is they can't see each other to play off of each other. So when we first started, it's a lot of stepping on one another. And, you know, I'm talking, we, this is how we tried to fight it, actually. If you're in a room with five people and I'm speaking and I stop speaking, everybody in the room gives me one beat to start again. If you let that one beat go by, somebody else's turn. You're in a five-person conversation. Somebody else is going to pick it up. That's just the natural social way of having a conversation. So we had a lot of waiting two beats and then trying to talk again. That's when you get stepped on. So the fact that they can't see each other, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of nonverbal between announcers in a booth, especially in a three-person booth. There has to be because they'll never, I mean, you got to leave some meat for each other. And I think actually in the end, that's probably been the greatest area of improvement for the announcers. They've realized that they're stepping on each other very little. And that's feels to me more like they're at ringside. They can see each other, but that's the hardest part, the delay and that they can't see one another. Absolutely. I mean, when you see announcers ringside working together, you can, sometimes you'll see them pointing at each other. Okay. You go, you can see the person when they're kind of done, maybe looking at their notes, you know, that that's your opportunity to jump in. These announcers didn't have that opportunity. And the fact that they only stepped on each other a little bit in the beginning is, is quite amazing. Um, I read somewhere and I, I wanted to ask, I don't know if this is true that some of the guys like Andre Ward or Tim Bradley had an iPad where they could maybe see some of the other announcers to get a visual as well on top of it. There is a setup. It's delayed. So it's, you're not getting it real time, but there is a setup, but it's not like I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. I'm like you said, I'm right here. I'm, we're, I'm pointing at something for you. And just again, just to be able to tell in a real time conversation when you're done talking and it's time for me to start, we have actually a setup, <laughs> the worldwide leader, we have a, an iPad taped about two feet away from a monitor that is an ISO of Joe Tessitore so that that can be part of that Zoom. So it's basically a Zoom on the iPad that they're all on. So they're on two Zooms at once. And I mean, I got to give the guys credit out there having to deal with all the technical stuff that they have to deal with. Otherwise, you know, they don't get on the air. There's nobody's no audio person standing there with them. They're in their home office with their iPad and their computer and their phone and Talking to my, you know, my guys back here in Bristol, hoping to work it out. <laughs> yeah, there's no A1, there's no someone running wire, things like that. And that can make a huge difference because 
when you're an on-air announcer or talent, you want to just be focused on your analysis or calling the fight. You don't want to really worry about the wiring uh, or your headset or things like that. And so that adds to the equation. I think I read that Tim Bradley had his son in the room kind of helping him out. So it was piecemeal uh, along the way. Um, And in terms of, in terms of you guys, did you have the same support that you normally have like a tech manager standing by um, things like that in terms of the production, the production unit? Oh, when we're in the truck? Yeah. Absolutely. There's our operations manager, Lynn West, is, again, of the highest order. And she is terrific. And she's running the show out there now on our end. But, yeah, we have plenty of people in the truck to help us out with whatever we need. And I was seeing uh, something done by ESPN Front Row, which gave us a little bit of a peek behind the, the, the curtain there. And Mike McQuaid, who I know is the head of uh, production and boxing there, he mentioned that his mindset for the team, at least early on, was we don't want to take too many risks. We just want to get this up and running, and then we can kind of add the bells and whistles later on. Was that your mindset as well? Is that what you wanted to try to do? Well, we certainly weren't throwing 80-yard bombs on day one. You know, I mean, you want to step into it slowly but at the same time you know you hear a lot of because we're doing it this way people will accept certain things like you just froze a little bit on me there just a little but you know people are willing to accept that stuff well we're not i'm not you're not so we want to do the best we can we want to put on the best show we can and the first time out of the block the fact that the guys weren't stepping on each other like they were we were looking at rory mcelroy said it great he said i take aggressive swings at conservative targets like we were taking aggressive swings we wanted to make sure we did certain things right the basics then you know we're still running our elements and still having our conversations and still shooting the ring the way we always would you know but yes to answer the short answer is yes we try to go a little slower to start but we're never really never really going slow you always want to hit that pedal as best you can Absolutely. If you're going for the green in two, uh, but you aim for the center of the green and then you end up with a draw or a fade or whatever, you can still usually get there. And that's that's a really good way to put it. Um, I haven't heard that before, and that's a really good way to put it. So in terms of some of the innovations that your your team and, and top rank put together, it had the whole nightclub feel. It wasn't a boring conference room. Uh, that, that, you know, you might see like, oh, MGM conference room, what's that going to look like? It, it was totally different. There was smoke, there was graphics, there was a bunch of other things. Um, what did you think about all the different elements that came together, including things like hear me cheer and other things like that to, to kind of in, enliven and enhance the experience for the viewer? Well, I think the audio is great. Let's start with the audio. And we did a, some tests, obviously top rank had to vet. So everybody who's aware, people basically cheer into their phone and it gets recorded and it goes on and things like that. And, uh, top rank had to do some vetting for who's allowed to do that, you know, because you don't want any crazies out there, but we're testing it. I remember we're sitting in the control room and I'm sitting next to Mike McQuaid and I said, you hear that? Some dude was whistling the whole time. So like, all right, well, we got to fix that, you know, but we looked at it. We tried to get a level that was ambient and we're not trying to ride Raise it up when something big happens. It's an ambient. You know, you don't want it to feel like an empty gym. Uh, as far as how it looks and feels, I mean, Aladdin Freeman, our director out there, is a, is just brilliant with it. And he has thought about nothing else since the beginning of June. I mean, I know him. He's just, he's thought about nothing else. And all the little tweaks, the top-ranked guys in Aladdin, they're really talking a lot out there. You know, you see the Twitter board and the way Aladdin, the way we use the screens for interviews and the highlights going right behind Joe Smith as he's talking and, it's just, it, it is, I like the nightclub 
that's kind of, that's a, that's good. It is. It's like a nightclub. And I hear Aladdin. The funny thing is I hear Aladdin in my ear as he's directing the ring, the ring walk. All right, smoke him. You know, they hit the smoke. All right, no more smoke. You know, it's just, he's, he's great with that. And they do a really good job of the lighting and, you know, there's something to be said for having control of the whole room and not worrying about anything. So I don't know, but it's, it's, it's really, they haven't stopped either. Like they've continued to try to just look at new stuff and you know, we don't want to get complacent. So I give them all the credit in the world to those guys out there. I just enjoy how it looks and we use it as best we can. And the, you know, the America unit in Vegas was Tuesdays and Thursdays for a long time on ESPN, uh, now going back to traditional Saturdays. But as we were watching, we noticed a little bit of a different production setup in Mexico City on ESPN. I know that that's a different production crew and they have their own ideas. Um, that had a whole different feel. That had more of like a red carpet vibe and they had fans in the back uh, kind of cheering as the action was going on. What did you make about the differences uh, from the whole Mexico City unit? Uh, you're right. It's a straight world feed. We have no control over anything with that. And the same with the, uh, with London, with Conlon and Frampton last couple of weekends ago, same thing. They're fine. You know, we do graphics from here and we have our announcers that they were all at their homes. Um, you know, everybody's got their own ideas on the setup. I mean, I've watched between Mexico city and London and UFC and everybody else in the bubble and the top rank, but it looks the best. It just does. Like it's for me, it's it looks awesome. The the way everything the screens are used. We toyed with the idea of fans in the back. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of it. I don't have to be, you know, just personal opinion on that. But you know, they did I did like the the long walk. I thought the long walk with the white lights and the red car, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, but you're doing the best you can with what you have. It's chicken salad. You know, I mean, you got two dudes in an empty gym, you know, in a conference room that you're building up the best you can. And everybody, you know, has ideas and there's only one way to figure them out. Try them. See what you think. So we, we've been doing a lot of that too. Just try stuff. And that, that was my next question. Obviously now there's more sports coming back as opposed to when ESPN and Top Rank came back originally. It seemed to be mostly just them and UFC. Uh, now there's so many other sports. Have you been watching how other sports are covering uh, their games nowadays? NBA, of course, with kind of like the live fans and the screens. Baseball has like cardboard cutouts, things like that. Um, have you been watching what other sports are doing? And is there anything that you intend to adapt to your broadcast? Most certainly. I mean, I'm a sports fan. Number one, I watch everything. You know, it drives my wife crazy. She's like, you work in sports, you come home and watch sports. Well, that's what I am. That's why I work in sports. But yes, I'll tell you who I think, just for myself, I like how the NHL looks. I like how they use the big screens. I, I don't know why, but that just strikes me as, for me, the best of the bunch, just how it looks on TV. It looks like a like a playoff atmosphere. It just feels, I don't know, it's got a different feel for me. I, li I like how the NHL is doing it. Um, I think everybody's experiment experimentation with audio. I'm always looking at it. We're always looking at stuff like that. I mean, we're not too proud. It's just like football is a copycat business. Somebody does something right. We'll give them credit, but I'm going to try it too. You know, and it's the same way. We'll try something and some, oh, I like that. We're going to try it too. That's how it always goes, you know? And uh, so, yes, we're watching everything. Uh, I thought MLS did some really good stuff, put some audio there. You know, you could hear those guys as clear as a bell. I mean, we're fortunate with the boxing. Well, fortunate and unfortunate at the same time. We can hear the trainers like you and I are talking right now. You know, sometimes that's not the best thing, but more often than not, you know, audio is one of the, it's one of the things that really, you can dress it up all you want video-wise, but the audio is really what brings you there. 
when you go to a hockey game and you're you're at the hockey game and a guy takes a slap shot from center ice and it just hits the goalie in the pads harmlessly, you hear it. You hear the thud. You don't hear that on TV. Now you do. Now you do. Like you hear not just the, the punches landing, you hear the you hear the exhale when he gets hit in the body. You hear it. You can hear the trainer getting into him. And it is it's everything we want. I wish I I hope when we do get fans back, whenever that happens, we can find a way to keep that audio. And just have the fans there too, because it's it's really been spectacular what we're getting to hear from the, the players, fighters in the corner, trainers during the entire round, referee. I mean, that's you know, all that stuff. Audio is really the way you get inside, from my opinion. And you lose a little bit with the fans because you're not, you know, a great knockout. For example, we had Pavetkin knock out White recently or Joe oh. Smith, Alvarez. These are great knockouts, and you kind of miss the fans going nuts, but what you get in exchange is, like you said, these intimate moments in the corner, hearing the instruction, hearing the referee. Uh, in UFC, there was a fighter who actually heard an analyst talking and he made some adjustments. I, yeah. <laughs> so you you lose some, but you win some in a different way. And, and so uh, that's, that's the new normal and that's the reality we live in. Um, when you were dealing with uh, speaking of the new normal, obviously the bubble was a very contained area. People were getting tested multiple times. That led to fighters and fights being postponed. Michaela Mayer was one. I spoke to Mikel Lapierre's manager who who tested positive yeah. on the one test, and then he was he was negative on three others. And yes. and but the important thing was that everyone was safe. Was that frustrating though at all for you from a production standpoint because you're getting ready for these events, and then sometimes these main events and stuff like that are just falling out. Oh, for sure. I mean, listen, fights have been falling out since the beginning of time. You know, I mean, I, you know, you go to a card, fights fall out, guys overweight. We had one fight in Mohegan Sun. I remember we were Friday night fights. It was a co-feature. Get up on the scales on the way in. This guy is MFing this guy the whole, I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. They got off, they flexed, he's yelling at him. They stared out. He got back into his car and drove back to Newark said, I'm not fighting that guy. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, guys' eyes get fuzzy unless they get three grand more back in the day. But <laughs> fights fall out. It's the way it goes. You just, you, you know, basically, you know, you push everybody up one. Top Rank does a very good job with having some quality through at least four or five fights with people. They're like, all right, I'm cool. I can watch that guy fight. You know, I, I we haven't had any show this year. Even the mayor fight that that, I think that was the worst one for me. We were excited to see that fight. We thought Helen Joseph would give her a good go. You know, it turned out she didn't, but whatever. Um, it just made for a shorter show because you're bringing up shorter fights. You're bringing up six round fights to be instead of eight and 10, you got now you're, you know, four, six, six, 10, instead of, you know, eight, eight, 10, 10 or something. So thankfully most of the time, we're not trying to get it to a, to a time where when we're done, we're done. So, but yeah, it's frustrating. You want to see these guys fight and especially most frustrating when Michaela tests positive and the next day tests negative. And that's, it's going to happen. It's happened, happened a couple of times and poor Jamel Herring twice, you know, so. But it, you know, it, it's when this first happened, when these sports came back together, the question was, is it safe to do it? Because we want the entertainment. We want the escapism. We need this, but it has to be safe. You can't be taking resources and things like that away from other people. You can't be causing outbreaks. And that definitely didn't happen. Uh, so credit to to yourself and ESPN and top rank for, for doing that. Um, I wanted to look ahead a little bit at the schedule, ask you a couple of quick questions, but the fact that I have the opportunity to speak with you, I really, really quick wanted to ask two um, unrelated to COVID questions. One is we of course know Max unboxing great show. Uh, Max Kellerman being able to 
be the great analyst he is and host. Um, I was uh, got to work alongside Max for a long time at HBO Boxing and, and, of course, enjoyed his ringside analysis. Do you think that at any point in the future we'll see Max calling fights again? I don't know. I love Max. I love I think Max has got his own role. Like Max can do whatever you ask Max to do. Whatever you want Max to do, Max can do it. And host, be the analyst, he can be both sometimes. There are lots of ways that Max Kellerman can affect the broadcast. Do I see him at ringside with Joe, Timmy, and Andre anytime soon? My personal opinion, not anytime soon, but I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know. I, I know this. Somebody asked me about him, and I said, there are only – a handful of people in sports that when you see them on a broadcast, you recognize that that broadcast has meaning to it. And everybody's got warts. Everybody's got flaws raised by hand. When Max is on the show, there is, he brings something to it that you can't write down. And that's why I like him the most. Hey, I like listening to him. He's a great boxing fan and he knows how to get his point across and he has an opinion. There is plenty of room for Max Kellerman on my show anytime he wants to get involved. I promise you that. Absolutely. And, and even I would also add that to Stephen A as well. I know so for some of these big pay-per-views, right we'll that. see yes. Stephen A will either be on site or on SportsCenter after and just adds because it adds to the gravitas of the event because it's, it's now the mainstream seems to be tuned in. Um, and so it's, it's great to have both of them. Uh, involved in the Absolutely. way they are. And, and the other quick question I had before we move back to the schedule was, um, we know that uh, ESPN and Top Rank, or actually Top Rank signed Tyson Fury, uh, and he was able to have the uh, tremendous uh, second fight with Deontay Wilder. I, I think it's a huge credit to everyone in terms of promoters and networks working together. I was yes. lucky enough to produce the countdown show for that fight. Um, one thing I was just I was just really curious about as, as a you know person who worked in production, Graphics and things like that were always a big deal, and there was a, there was a lot made about Tyson Fury as the lineal champion, right? And it's not always necessarily recognized. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And also, there's a, you know maybe a naysayer could say there's no direct link all the way back to the first champion, things like that. So yep. just curious if you had any insights on that decision to say Tyson Fury is the lineal champion and put it up there and as a graphic and 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 talk, and you know any insights into that? Well, I get to. He beat the man who beat the man who beat the man. And I understand there are all going to be breaks. And I don't know if you, uh, you probably saw it. And we did a little 90-second animation about the lineal championship. And in Tess's copy, there's, you know, there were occasional breaks, but it was always, you know, a vacant, occasionally vacant, but then the top two guys picked it up and fought for it. You know, like there was some copy involved in it. But I don't know. I mean, people ask about these lesser belts the you know i'm not denigrating anybody any bo's any but whatever smaller minor belts you want to talk about and i was always the i was the type of guy that said oh it's a tin belt who cares i'm not you know and tim bradley said it to me he said listen anything you can do to help promote a fight and make these guys money you should be doing and I didn't, he didn't mean me as a as a tv guy he meant their promoter so Tyson Fury, in theory, and there again, you're right. There, you ask ten people, eight of them or two of them are gonna be like, mm, I don't know. But guess what? Eight of them is enough for me. And for me, and our group, he is the lineal heavyweight champion. He beat the man who beat the man. I mean, nobody doubts that Vladimir Klitschko was the lineal champion when he was. Well, Fury beat him, and I get the time off. I get the. I get all that. I get it. But from the beginning of time, it was always you. If that 
fighter is still fighting, you have to be the one to take it from him in the ring. So I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, it's it, I, I get it. I, I understand that some people might let it go. Let it go. It made for a fun fight. And guess what? If, if Wilder beat him, they could put him on, his, on that on his resume as well. Now, lineal and WBC heavyweight champ. I'm sure he would gladly have taken the word lineal after the comma in his name if they were willing to give it to him. Uh, you know, it, it actually adds, like you said, to Tim Bradley's point, actually, it adds a little bit to it. Because now if Fury fights Joshua, you have, you know, all the belts plus the lineal. That's never happened before in the modern four belt era. So just adds a nice little interesting nugget. But I was just curious about how that plus, decision gave, came together. And plus, you know, let's be honest, too. When you're talking about Fury and Wilder, you're not just talking to hard boxing fans anymore. You're talking to people that are not hard by I me. Mean, that is a worldwide event now. And again, you've got people that don't know, and you put some, give that person a title, and it's legit. It adds to it, to your point. Again, two out of 10, I'm not going to worry about them. They don't at me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, well said. So looking ahead at the ESPN schedule, I mean, we have a lot of great fights. We have Ramirez Postal. We have Herring, who hopefully will, you know, that fight will come together now. Right. Josh Taylor. We have the big one, of course, Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez. We've been waiting for that for a long time. Um, moving forward into the fall with production, how do you see it playing out? Is there going to be anything different that you guys are going to be trying? Is there any thought to having announcers on site? Any thought to having limited fans on site? Anything different? in terms of the production this fall i let's start with i know for sure i've heard nothing about any fans anywhere okay i i haven't heard anything about that we are talking about sending us to lomachenko lopez i don't know if that's going to happen or not it's so far away this could all change tomorrow who knows you know um schedule's awesome isn't it like the best part now is when you were in june and, and july those six weeks we were new so people were going to watch because it was live sports now, to your point, you're getting sports, so now the quality of fight needs to go up. You add that to the fact that these guys realize you're not getting fans for another year. You better fight. So if you look at what's coming, I mean, Ramirez and post off Saturday night. Finally. Finally. And with Lomachenko Lopez, I mean, it's it's a massive fight. And, and I think what's the, the best part of it, at least for me, is that we've been hearing for so long that without fans, we can't see the A-plus fighters in the game because, uh, the, you know, the whole equation is, is changed in terms of the financial gains from a live crowd. But they made it work, and it's happening on regular ESPN, which is – which is, you know, quite amazing that 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 is happening. Do you think other top pound for pound fighters will maybe look at that and say, "All right, hey, maybe if, maybe if we change the dynamics a little bit, change the equation a little bit, we can also get in the ring." Corey, here's what I'm going to say: You are not going to fight in front of twenty thousand people for minimum a year. Minimum. Somebody tell me I'm wrong with that. So the clock's ticking. You want to wait. If you're going to wait to fight, you're going to be waiting a long time. These guys realize that. I get it. Loma's 32. He's got 400 amateur fights. Let's go. He wants to fight. He doesn't go a year without fighting. And it'll be over a year since he let, you know. So these guys, I think they're realizing that if you want to fight and you want to make some money, you've got to go into the bubble and do it because the only way it's going to happen for at least the next 12 months. No, that's that's definitely true, and and the fact that you know this top pound for pound fighter is fighting another great fighter, it's it's great for us as as sports fans. So, uh, when you look back overall at everything that you had to overcome uh, with these challenges in this pandemic and and the bubble and everything, what are you most proud of? What do you look back at with the most pride and saying, "Oh, we were able to do this." Oh, easy. We have assembled a group of people, like 
for me, I'm at home. I go to Bristol. It's a 30 minute drive. We had guys in that bubble, 42 people in that bubble for 60 something days. I didn't hear one word from anybody about this sucks. This is no, nothing. We always said my buddy, Mike Mascaro is our associate director on a show. And he's my ISO producer out in Vegas. He's in the bubble. We always say to each other. And the last time we got to say it next to each other was for Fury and Wilder too. Said, where would you be if you weren't sitting right here right now? And we both say we're sitting on the couch watching this fight. Everybody loves it. Like we couldn't wait to get back at it. And we can't wait to, we're a good group about self-scouting. We watch shows together. We talk, matter of fact, just before I got on with you, we were on our weekly conference, weekly Zoom now, you know, talking about the shows and talking about our show on Friday. It's our group that I'm most proud of. Those, and not Tim Bradley, Andre Ward, Mark Kriegel, never had to do anything other than dial a phone in their life. They are now working with all the equipment you're working with and then some, they're live, they're doing shows here, they're doing all from their home office. If you ask them in May if they thought they could do that, they'd tell you no. It's just, it's a, it's a huge undertaking, but our group, and Mike McQuaid leads it and he leads by example, and it is just a wonderful group of people that care a lot about boxing. You don't get assigned to boxing. You ask to be on boxing here. You know, you ask to be on. There are a few of us, but everybody that's here wants to be on this show and wants this show and this sport to succeed. So I'm most proud of Lynn West, our operations producer in Vegas, Aladdin Freeman, Mike Mascara, who've been in the bubble the whole time, Bernardo, who was in the bubble the whole time, and all the guys that are working at home doing things, doing it the way they have never been trained to do and are still doing it at the highest level. I'm very proud of the whole group. Absolutely. When, you know, you're on anyone who's worked in road production, you know, we were exchanging before we came on the air, we were exchanging stories about Mark Payton, who's a great guy, a good friend of both of us. And uh, there's always stories and there's a camaraderie that builds there. And I'm sure that that was even enhanced for the bubble experience for the people in there. So uh, Jim Zeroli, I want to thank you so much for the time, for breaking it down, for giving us a peek behind the curtain. Uh, and congratulations for what you guys have been able to do. And I'm looking forward to a lot more great uh, ESPN boxing programming coming up. I appreciate it, Karen. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much. All right. And that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much to my guests from ESPN, Mark Schumann and Jim Zeroli. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karan Bhatia at, on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's asktheexpertspod at gmail.com. I am Karan Bhatia, and this was Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karan Bhatia.